they're still another voice at the conference table telling Absolutely. you how to run it, right? And again, to your point, and guarding yourself, read the fine print because they can pull their money too. They can pull their investment. So if you're not doing what they say, they can pick up their marbles and go. That can also leave you in a very cash-strapped position as well too. So there's a lot of dangers to watch out for when thinking about this. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground, Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here in studio with Chloe Goodry-Reed. And in this episode, the two of us are going to sit down and go over what every diverse business should consider when taking capital investments, the pros, the cons, and what to be aware of when engaging with venture capitalists. Spoiler alert, capital investments can be a dangerous place for diverse businesses to play. Yeah. I think that it can be a dangerous place for anyone, but there's some specific things that I think diverse suppliers need to think about. I I completely agree. You know, um, you and I both know of a very well-known diverse business that is no longer diverse because they took a capital investment. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I actually spoke to, will not divulge names on this show to protect the innocent, <laughs> but I can tell you, I did have a conversation with the owner a few months after that went down. Yeah. Um, and they were actually a little bit shocked and felt a little bamboozled, actually, mm. uh, that that happened. So we've got to, we've got to watch out. So I think this is a, I think this is a very timely episode for us, right? So, but you know, you are in the MBE world. Mm-hmm. And so why don't you give our audience just a little bit of background on what we are talking about in the way of capital investments and what that means. I know we are always talking about access to capital. Sure. But what does this mean? We're kind of looking at it from another lens. Yeah. I mean, capital investments can really just refer to a business's acquisition of capital assets. Mm-hmm. Funds that can be loans from financial institutions, it can be venture capital groups. It can be non-traditional ways. There's lots of tax credits that, that have come up lately. BIR. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically the way that you acquire financing to grow your business. Right. And this is financing kind of beyond what we call the bootstrap stage. Absolutely. Right. Right. And so for maybe for those of you who are considering getting into small business or making that jump, the bootstrap stage is where you are using retirement savings. Uh, You have a rich uncle or aunt. Uh, You know, you have a trust that you're using. You have some sort of pool of money that you're tapping into that is yours that you own privately. That's what we call bootstrapping. Right. So but why why do you want to obtain venture capital? Right. What's the purpose behind it? I think we all understand we have to spend money to make money, but why? 
I mean, this can help you with scaling your business. Number mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. it can help you with acquiring top tier talent. Yeah. If you're in a market that's moving at a fast pace, you may want to keep on that same trajectory. And if you don't raise capital, you will be left behind. Mm-hmm. While other businesses, particularly tech enabled ones, have access to lots of funds and resources and can grow at a faster pace, you may lose out on that market opportunity if you don't raise capital. Right. Exactly. And if you are in the tech space, you know, your your um, entire ecosystem that you play in can change almost overnight, depending yeah. on different things that happen inside the market. Right. So it's, Absolutely. yeah, it helps you stay nimble essentially as well too. So, it does. Yeah. You can also get capital if you want to expand into new markets and yes, right. Have enough operating budget to just maintain your existing operations. But if you decide that you want to open a new line or move into a new region, you may need outside capital to help fund that expansion. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing about venture capital or, or and these capital investments um, that's so attractive is you're doing it outside the bank, right? So you're not going to your local commercial creditor to obtain these funds. So there is not the threat of, oh, I've got to put my house up, you know, to obtain this money. I've got to, you know, find a co-signer, you know, and who's going to co-sign a $5 million loan for, you know, a piece of equipment. There aren't the rigors that a traditional commercial loan go through. So that can be kind of appealing. Absolutely. Right. It's kind of, kind of quick, you know, it gets you an injection of cash. And maybe if you've tapped out a credit limit or those type of things, it starts to become really um, attractive for you. Absolutely. What are some of the other things that you think of that might attract our diverse owned businesses to venture capitalists? I mean, there's a lot of things that can attract them from, you know, particularly like venture capital usually want to invest in fast growing tech enabled companies. Right. And so from that perspective, the ben- the ultimate benefit is having smart money, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about this a lot in, in the tech space is that they will not only give you capital, but also help you with growing your business. Maybe it's access right. to funds, maybe mm-hmm. it's mentorship. And I mean, it's like, and it's mentorship on another level, right? Because they have a true right. interest in your success. So it's not Correct. like a programmatic mentorship, but hey, let's tackle the real problems you have today. And here's the solution. And I'm going to actually pick up the phone and make a call, make this problem go away or make right. this, or come up with a solution very quickly. It's a lot less like traditional mentoring programs and more right. so we're trying to scale and trying to help you as quick as and as painless as possible. Right. And I think the other, oh, sorry, go right ahead. I was just also going to say the other thing about venture capital is if you're at a stage, depending on what stage of your business, they've got other portfolio companies they're working with that that they are 100% willing to make introductions to, and those could then become your customers. So when you think about not only getting this injection of cash and capital, you're also getting access to companies that you might not have gotten access to otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, we hear it on this show and and when we go to our different conferences, MBEs are always saying, man, I got certified, but it hasn't helped me land another deal, Yeah, right? I haven't gotten another contract because of this. And we've talked about that on other episodes, but the venture capitalist comes in and says, well, I have a Rolodex, right? And when you come onto my team, you have access to this Rolodex and all I have to do is pick up a phone and they know Jimmy so-and-so and I'll make it happen, right? The other thing that happens too, is like you said, they have a portfolio of companies. Now all of a sudden you're getting sold along site something else that's complementary to your service. Absolutely. Right. And so it it's easier to get in the door. Right. So you see yeah. all of these great things and you're like, 
well, Adam and Chloe, why are you guys not promoting venture capitalists? Why don't you have one on the show with you right now to talk about it? Yes. Right? Yeah. But there are some dangers, right? We talked about it at the top of the, the episode. There are some real dangers about working with venture capitalists where we said, and it is true, you don't have to put up collateral to be part of their program, right? Or to get access to the money. You have to give up ownership. You, you have do. to give up stocks, Mm-hmm. Right. So what is the bet? What's the bet for a venture capitalist? The bet for the venture capitalist is I'm going to invest X percent into your company and that 10 percent is going to grow to 30 percent. I'm going to have that growth with a 51 like hundred percent is what they're expecting. It's crazy, crazy returns and sometimes not realistic. That is a huge danger. You know that and read yes. the fine print. Read the fine print because the other thing, then they also get 51 percent ownership which means they start telling you how to run your company. And then when that company is sold and guess who has no say so and whether your company gets sold or not, you, they get 51% of the profits of the company you started. I mean, and it can vary. It can vary. It can. It can. That's an extreme case. Yeah. It's based on your valuation. So you want to Mm definitely get a valuation and make sure that you are coming to the table confident around what your company is actually worth. And yes. giving you equity in exchange for ownership, you can quickly do the calculations. Well, for this amount, we will give you 10% of our company. And there's right. simple math numbers around that. But if you don't know and haven't had time to do a third-party valuation of your company, then people could come in and say, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars for 51% of your company. Right. If you're a $50 million company, that's crazy. No, and that right. doesn't make sense. We're not going right. to 50, 51% no. if you're only a million dollars, but you just need to be able to say, no, we've had this third-party valuation because you right. get into tit for tat with potential investors around what they think the company's worth versus what you exactly. Here it is. Here's a third-party right. evaluation of right. what we actually worth. Right. And even if that capital investor takes a minority position in your minority business, there's still another voice at the conference table telling you how to run it, right? And again, to your point in guarding yourself, read the fine print because they can pull their money too. They can pull their investment. So if you're not doing what they say, they can pick up their marbles and go. That can also leave you in a very cash strapped position as well, too. So there's a lot of dangers to watch out for when thinking about this. Yeah, they definitely usually want to have a board seat. But what you yep. think is this transition, and we're, we're talking specifically about VCs, which usually correct usually pay in the tech space, but then there's private equity, there's mezzanine financing that yep. kind of go after sort of the traditional or manufacturing businesses that you yep. have to be way more established and not looking for the same amount of returns. Mm-hmm. What I say the dangers around that mm-hmm. is they have different objectives in terms of why they're trying to, they have responsibilities to their LPs and they want mm-hmm. to get returns. So you also have to be aware of, you know, at what point you're coming into a fund because funds typically, you know, have a 10 year run. And so if you come in at year eight of that, they're trying to close everything out and they're going to rush to get to 10 X or 20 X. And I don't think that people often are aware of that either. So I think that that's exactly that when organizations are looking at outside capital to really, really think about. Right. And I think the other thing you have to worry about too is, or or think about, right. And we always talk about this on the show and that's being intentional about everything that we do. Absolutely. Is under, understand what your brand is, right? I mean, if you've got an established brand, bringing in a venture capitalist or a mezzanine or any of these others, depending on what your service or good you're providing, that can change the entire look, feel, and kind of the way that the brand is positioned inside the market, which could, you know, be totally juxtaposed to where you really 
wanted it or have been successful in. Yeah. Or the direction of the company. Like, the direction of the company. Depending, yeah. like if they have a board seat and depending on what else they've negotiated in the fine print around who has final say and voting rights. Yeah. Sometimes those things don't always line up. They can own 10% of the company, but maybe we are, you know, um, we have a voting of one out of three. I mean, it's just it's yeah. something astronomical and they can hold up progress. Oh, yeah. Have to oh, yeah. make sure that you have attorneys read over these agreements. Oh, man. With a fine tooth comb. With a fine tooth yeah. comb. You know, the other thing I've seen happen, too, in these type of relationships is new products getting pushed to market way too fast. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a startup has a great product. Oh. They've already got one product out there about to launch the second product. That's when the VC or the other investors come in and they, they start to invest, they invest, and then they start to push that second product out well before you were ready to. And now you've got reputational issues because something's gone wrong with the product. It wasn't up to spec. It wasn't the same quality right. that your customers are used to. And that just causes all sorts of issues on the back end. And again, you've kind of given the way the keys to the kingdom a little bit. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say the one thing about private equity, yes, the, the con of that is having to be accountable and, you know, definitely having to have others that are outside of your corporation looking at everything that you're doing. But when, even when you look at debt, you know, you don't have that, but you got to make sure that you're able to then meet the debt requirements, you know, and make those Correct. payments. Yep. And that you don't get behind. So when you're talking about a $5 million loan, that can be a significant monthly payment that you're having to make. So it really can be. You need to look at both and the stage right. at which you are in your company and what paths are best for you, just given cash. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to do today, right? It's not, we want to turn people away from going the VC route right. or mezzanine or any of the other private equity funds, but we just want you to kind of play the heads up ball, right? Because sometimes you're not going to get this information and, and you know, we're very much dedicated to you guys out there. Yes. And we want to make sure that you hear this, you know, from your friends, Adam and Chloe, we want to make sure you hear this and just think about it, right? You have to make the ultimate call. We can't tell you no, right? And the VC shouldn't be telling you yes. You yeah. have to know your business and where you're going and you have to make that call. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then when you also just think about logistically, like the danger, not necessarily the dangers, I don't want to use that word, but the complications of when you take debt or when you take equity Mm -hmm. to recertify, there are a lot of people now that have to sign these documents because they have ownership in the company. And so certification can become a cumbersome process. So that is something that I think you need to think about as well. Right. And and think about your current customer base. And if your certification means you get to keep your contract or not. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? If you lose your MBE status, which for our listeners, we talk about this all the time, and you have to still own the company 51%. You have to be the majority owner. So the, the second that that scale tips, your certification is at risk. Big time. Unless the venture capital company happens to be minority owned themselves. Which would be the best of both worlds. The best of both worlds, right? (laughs) The best of both worlds. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah, so I think that those are a lot of different things, but I think um, if you truly want to scale, you know, I think, and your aspirations are to be publicly traded or to get acquired, taking outside capital to grow is is really... I feel like one of the best paths. I mean, you yep. definitely bootstrap and we bootstrapped through some. Oh, yeah. Through 
savings, but also through client revenue. We boost, you know, we actually provided operating capital to higher ground through our existing contracts. So mm-hmm. just putting the money right back into the business to help us grow yep. initially. And that was great. So we positioned ourselves before we started having any conversations with any outside lenders so that we could be coming to the table in a position of strength. Really. Yeah, which is, which is what we want to set you guys up for. Absolutely. Absolutely. But knowing that if you don't take outside capital or looking at loans, then your growth path and your growth trajectory is going to be a lot slower. It is. It is. And that's the other thing, you know, we've, we've talked about that a little bit too. And so you need to understand where is your market? Is your market in a high growth industry where if you've got to keep up or you're going to be behind and out of business, or is it in a traditional industry that's kind of at its peak? You know, you got to look at that whole industry life cycle. You talk about your business life cycle. You got to look at your industry life cycle. Where are you on that? Maybe it's in the decline phase. Yes. So therefore, PE makes like zero sense. I don't know too many PEs that were going to come and invest in you too if the industry is in a decline. Absolutely. But yeah, you've got to understand that. Where and how are you positioned inside that? A lot to think about. A lot to think about. A lot to think about. I mean, for me, looking at a lot of these tax credits, like opportunity zone credits. And oh, yeah. New markets tax credits. To fund your business is an incredible way to find non-diluted funds. It's definitely a process. I mean, you got to give yourself a year right. to get all the paperwork together, you know, really give yourself opportunity to, to make sure that it's the best mm-hmm. path for you and best way that you want to obtain this capital. But, and then the process of allocation around those that can take about six months. Mm-hmm. It's forgiven. You know, it's right after seven years. And so exactly talk about non-diluted capital, no strings yep. to it. And that's the best kind. And I think you brought up an interesting term that we I, we maybe almost forgot to talk about. And that is non-dilutive. Yeah. Right. So non-dilutive lending is lending where you receive money in a PE kind of way, mm-hmm. but they take no ownership. They take right. no board seat. They give, but you also get zero guidance from these folks. Right. I'm thinking of like angel investing and some different stuff like that where people come in and invest in your company for a return, obviously on the growth that they expect to see, but but they have no ownership in the company either. So that's something to think about. Yeah, yes. Angel investors, though, will sometimes want some ownership in the company. Some, You know, yes. in exchange, they'll want some shares because their angels are usually one of the first ones to come in. So you're super risky. Then. So they're like, what's yeah. the... What's the reward for my risk? Mm-hmm. And it needs right. to be high because I can yep. essentially lose all this cash. So mm-hmm. I don't want you just to pay me back, like, you know, prime plus two. No, I, I want to see. Yeah. Like, I want to see some real growth. Here. Some yeah. real growth here. And right. Right. Yeah. I think that that's something that that needs to be considered as well. So mm-hmm. have, you can do safe notes where, you know, it's just. If they give you a hundred grand in two year time, you give them back a hundred grand or more. I mean, all these deals and all these terms can be can be different. There's not any standard. But I, I yep. think that the thing that we want to try to make sure that we share is making sure that you read those documents. And unless you're yes. an attorney, it's worth the time to get an attorney that yep. is um working for you specifically. Not right. an attorney that works at the VC Correct. At the bank. It's someone yes. that is has your best interest 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's something we need to address on another episode, and that's legal representation, right? Yeah. You need to at least have some counsel on retainer, right? Or be bought into an insurance type program where you have access to counsel to do just this, because you don't want to talk to your bank about this. You don't want to talk to the VC's lawyer about this, yeah. right? You want an independent third party who doesn't know you from the next person who walks through the door that'll look at that contract with the most critical eyes known to man and really look through it. It cannot tell you from my own personal experiences in business, how super critical having that type of person in your pocket is. Absolutely. They will find things and point them out. And you're like, I would have walked off a cliff. Have you not pointed that out to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so really, really, really important stuff. One of the other things that I think that people don't know about very much is strategic investment. And Oh yeah. This is, venture arms that Fortune 500 companies have. And so if you are already working with a Fortune 500 company, check with the supplier diversity team, check with the procurement team. Do you have a venture arm of your business that, and then look at that venture arm and see what of investments that they're they're currently making or interested in making because com- exactly constantly looking at constant startups and other small yep. businesses that they can make investments with that are in line with their growth strategies that could potentially right. help accelerate their growth exactly so- and could lead to an acquisition of whatever it is you're selling because that's how Fortune 500s work Absolutely. they'll find you and they'll acquire you so if they have that if you're in that program you're kind of getting groomed to be set up as either a, to become a key supplier or an acquisition. So if that's kind of the, your end game, that's a great place to look too. Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, I think the other thing, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about just, you know, accessing SBA funds. I mean, which I think are incredible. I mean, people frown upon, oh, getting an SBA loan because it's paperwork. But if you're a person right. that can get through that paperwork, I mean, and have a banking relationship that directly with the SBA, because it's difficult to get to work directly with the SBA. But if you're a good bank Mm -hmm. uh, that can go direct to the SBA, sort of like insurance markets, um, it's hard to access certain markets if you don't have that intermediary. And so having working with a bank that has a direct line to the SBA, those banks have underwriting authority for the SBA. So if you have a good relationship with them and they'll... You know, they're continuing, you're continuing to bank with them. You know, this loan, I mean, we're talking about low, low, low interest, low rates on these. So the cost of capital when you go the SBA route is very, very, very affordable, which makes it. It is. Exactly. Exactly. So, and you know, the other thing too is, and we talked about this on another episode. So I suggest, I would really love for you guys, if you're liking this, go back and find it. Go find our S- our episode where we talked to the SBDC, right? Now that, grant you, he was here in North Georgia with us where we're located, but every state has a small business development center. They'll help you navigate some of this. If you're having problems contacting the SBA, they can help you. If you want to sit down, talk to an expert about venture capital, private equity, angel investors, any of those sorts of questions, any sort of question on access to capital, they're there to help you with that. So there's another resource outside your legal team you've got to absolutely tap into on this type of topic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah, if you want to grow, you know, there's really two options, you know, grow through revenue or through outside capital. Exactly. Exactly. And you've just got to determine where you are. And it will flip-flop back and forth sometimes too, which is what you have to remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, 
when you think about from the corporate side, you know, yeah. how do you guys, how would you think about, you know, if, if some of your suppliers are coming to you and saying, you know, we need capital to, to be able to work on this project or to be able to right. do this work, how historically have supplier diversity professionals addressed some of those, those comments and those concerns? Yeah. You know, one of the things too, is what we really look at, um, and this is kind of a bigger access to capital question, right? Is we look at our own payment terms. That's, that's kind of win number one. Mm, yes. Right. I'm so glad and that is, that. yeah. And to make sure that we're not stringing you out for 90 days, mm-hmm, right? Cause mm-hmm. yeah, that just doesn't work. Try to get it ratcheted back down to 30, 10. I know supplier diversity departments that have it due on receipt, you know, you invoice, mm-hmm. boom, the payment goes out the same day. And especially if you're doing like SOW style work at milestones and you're trying, and you're having to pay contractors yourself to do whatever this work is, yeah. that's hugely critical, right? Yeah. The, that zero day payment term. And a lot of supplier diversity departments can, can work on that, right? And so that can be some of the stuff that you can negotiate with them. Uh, the other thing to do is a lot of them are tied back to foundations. Uh, and they can help point you in the right direction. Maybe they know of a program. Maybe they have some, you know, all the, there seems to be new programs coming out daily where they're looking to provoke, promote black and brown tech. You know, we, we lose a lot of tech on this show. Chloe and I are very enrooted in the tech uh, yes, world. Yeah. But same thing too in the retail side. I've seen it on the retail side too, right? Where they are going and they're looking for specific demographic ownership, right? And they're trying to yes. put money into those businesses at a non-dilutive rate Truly, it is a grant or a grace loan, right, where you're not going to repay it um, to get those businesses up to speed and they can scale. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of there's there are those type of activities. The other thing, too, is if you've got a really great supplier diversity department, they're tied in at the national level programs, too. Yes. And they might be able to point you in the direction of whoever you're certified through. We'll just say the NMSDC for the sake of the conversation here. Say a program just came up. I know they're looking for this. Oh, they have these different programs that they're running concurrently. Let us let me get you in front of the right people. Realize your supplier diversity managers are tied into more than just the firm that they work in. If if they're doing their job well, that's another episode. You go find that one too. I'm sending you all on like treasure hunts today. And and they should be able to point you back to some of these different programs. And, and now not all companies are going to have this. They may have a mixed match of different things. They, they might be able to say, hey, I can take you to 30 days from 45 days. Well, it's still 15 days quicker, yeah. you know, on your books than you were getting. Yeah. So, you know, and that pays, that that helps out a lot. And, and actually that 15 days can take a lot of pinch off the books. You know, it really can. So, yes, it definitely can. I think it can make a huge, huge difference as mm-hmm. if it's a large CapEx project and there's a lot yes. of little that's required upfront for them yep. to do the work or complete the work. Yep. Well, thanks so much for listening. And this has been a great. Yes, it has. And be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Chloe Gidry Reed, and Adam Moore. Yes. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.